morning. It is a joy to be gathered in Jesus' name with you today. Uh, my name is Noah Green. I'm the student admissions minister here at First Baptist New Orleans. Uh, Rick, wherever you are, thank you, brother, for your sensitivity to the Spirit and your leadership for us this morning. Uh, this week has been great uh, with Vacation Bible School. I just want to echo what's already been said. Uh, it was a joy for me and my wife, Brittany, to see VBS uh, at FBNO for the first time since we've been here uh, and really just see the Lord's faithfulness uh, through, through everything that went on. So, Faye, thank you for your leadership and your leadership team, for the volunteers that came. I know you sacrificed time and a lot of energy. We had some students in here as well that were leading with some of the music, doing some tech, tech stuff, helping with students. So uh, the Lord just showed, again, his faithfulness to us as we uh, attempted to disciple uh, these children that came. And we learned what it, what it looks like to build your life on the foundation of Jesus. Uh, so as we continue in worship, we're going to look this morning at John chapter 15, verse 9 through 17. So hope you're in Bibles with me. John chapter 15, verse 9 through 17. Uh, now, this passage uh, might ring a bell once you hear it uh, based on the, the song that the children sang uh, this morning. And it was actually a, a, a passage that we looked at at Vacation Bible School uh, for one day. And uh, we looked at what it means to remain in the love of God. And so it kind of ties in with that. But this passage, I'll say, has been on my mind and my heart for a number of weeks. Um, uh, and I think one, one, one big reason is, is the way uh, the Lord has shown up this summer. Uh, it's been great to see different events uh, happen here at the church and see the Lord move. Uh, I think it's been a fruitful season, but also the summer for me, like many of you I know, uh, for students, for parents, grandparents, uh, I'm coming away, coming towards the end of it, pretty tired and kind of worn out. Uh, and it's one of those seasons that has been amazing, but I'm coming kind of in that way. And there are seasons of life that we come to. Uh, it's not just the summer, uh, and it's not just for uh, people with students, but there are seasons of life that we come to when we feel drained and we feel tired. And yet the Lord has just brought this to mind uh, for me of the love that he has for me and the rest that we find in Christ. And no matter what season we are in, this is a reminder for us all. So as we hear from the Word of God, would you stand uh, as we read from this passage in John chapter 15, starting in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I've made known to you everything I've heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you. Love one another. Join with me in prayer. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the love that you have shown us in Christ. Lord, your love is perfect. Your love is eternal. Your love brings true joy Lord, we thank you for showing that to us in Christ who came and humbled himself 
to, who lived as a servant and who gave his life for many. Lord, we thank you for the love that you have shown to us. God, I ask that as we examine this passage today, that you would give us eyes to see and give us ears to hear from your word, that we may be filled up, that we may know what it is to remain in your love, and that you might produce fruit within us. Be with us in this time. I pray for clarity and conviction in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. So today, as we look at this passage in the book of John, uh, I want to think about this passage uh, within the framework of one truth, one call, and one command. As Jesus is speaking to his disciples, we see one truth, one call, and one command. And the truth is simply this. Jesus has loved his disciples. Jesus has loved his disciples. So just glancing at this passage, if you look at starting at verse 9, in just the first five verses, you see the word love over and over and over again. In the first five verses, you see it eight times. You might even think upon the first reading of this that it's almost like a repetitive kind of theme that Jesus is going through, almost circular. He's just talking about the love of God. This is the theme of this passage, and so it's going to be the theme of what we talk about today. But as we think about love, and you think about it in our own lives, I mean, our culture and our hearts are just drawn to love. We love thinking about, love talking about love. It seems to captivate our minds. We, we make movies, we compose songs, we create pieces of art, we write books on the very theme of love. And even, so, so just think about movies. Like even movies that aren't even romantic movies often have like a couple that falls in love in the story. So, so just think about some, some classic stories of love. You think about the, the, the countless people that have enjoyed the story of like Pride and Prejudice, right? An old story that people have gone through multiple, multiple times. It was a story, then it became a movie. There's even a zombie version, apparently, of Pride and Prejudice. We just, we love talking about love and this romantic story. But it's not even just romantic love. Our culture loves to talk about the friendship, the, the love between friends that we can have. Right? You think about not just movies, but even songs that we write. The, tw- the 20th century had some great songs, even about friendship in it. You think about like Lean on Me, right? Or You've Got a Friend by James Taylor, right? Like these, these are songs that we talk about the, the bond that two individuals can have, even with friendship, and we're captivated by this kind of love. And it's not just romantic love, it's not just a love of friendship, but even you look around our, our culture, you look at this city, and I would, I would say that we have a love for sports. Like there, there's even just love of sports teams with the saints in this city. There's this desire to have camaraderie with one another uh, and, and to, to enjoy a team. And so it's clear when we look at ourselves and we look at our life that in some way we have a desire for love deep within ourselves. There's an, a desire for acceptance, for community, and a deep bond with others. And as, as wonderful as these types of love are in our culture and in our memories, these types of love oftentimes in our life seem to be lacking in some way. You see, the, hu- the love that humans produce, that we can create from ourselves, the love for a spouse, for our families, for our closest friends, even for our teams, can be wonderful, but they cannot be perfect. Every romantic movie has some element of heartbreak in it. Every friendship has a season of difficulty, and every sports team at some point will go through a slump. So the love that humans produce for a sports team can have patience and endurance, but it can't be the kind of love that's eternal. 
It's never fading and never dying. The, the love that we produce can alter the course of a person's life. Like we can make decisions based on love that we wouldn't have made otherwise, but it can't save a person's life. The love that humans produce can cause us to desire to, desire to, to change our habits and, and make ourselves better, walk down a better path, but it can't lead us to righteousness or true goodness nor a truly virtuous life. The love that humans produce can even cause us to have immense happiness and even some sense of joy, but it cannot give us a sense of joy that outlasts any and every situation. It can't give us a joy that never dies. And so within ourselves, we see a longing for love that never dies, a longing for a love that is eternal, that gives us true joy. And this longing has created movies and written songs and shaken lives, but we can't fulfill it within ourselves. However, what we see in Scripture and what we see today is that the love of God and the love with which Christ has loved his disciples is mighty. His love is perfect. His love saves lives. His love is eternal. His love produces righteousness, and his love gives true joy. And so there is great hope in John 15, 9, when we see that Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. The love that Jesus has for his disciples is rooted within the perfect love that we see within God himself, within the persons of the Trinity. The, the same love with which God loves the Son is poured out on us by Christ. And this love is immense. The Bible talks about it in John chapter 17, 24. It says that the Father loved the Son before the foundation of the world. God's love is the eternal love that we desire. John 3.35 tells us that the Father loves the Son and has given him all things. God's love is a giving kind of love. John 5.20 shows us that the Father loves the Son and reveals to him all he does. God's love is a self-revealing kind of love where we gain the knowledge of God. And in 2 Peter chapter 1 and other accounts of the gospel, uh, we see that when Jesus was baptized, the Father gave glory and honor to the Son. God's love is a love of blessing. And so while the relationship between the Father and Son is altogether unique, this same love has been poured out to us in Christ, this eternal, giving, revealing, and blessing kind of love. And so Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. And Jesus goes on in this passage. He shows us one major attribute, one this, this defining characteristic of his love toward his disciples. And I want you to see that today. The love of Christ gives from itself. It is self, a self-sacrificing kind of love. See, his is not a love that simply seeks to gain something from a relationship. Right? It's not one that's willing to just destroy for its own gain. It's a love that sacrifices itself for another. Now, we often love things for what we can receive in return. We love the sports team for the camaraderie that we can get or the status of being a fan of a winning team. I'll confess, as a Panthers fan, I don't know what that's like, but I think some people do. But when we foster friendships also, like we often are seeking something that we can get in return, a, a common hobby or something like that. We, we seek to receive something in return with our love many times, but this is not the love of Christ. In verse 13, we see this truth. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. Christ himself laid down his own life for the sake of others. And this love is marked by humility, by a servant's heart, and ultimately by his death. Christ's love is marked by humility. We read in Philippians 2, we see that Christ's love showed humility even when he did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he took on the likeness of humanity and he came as 
a man. Rather than lording his divinity over us like a worldly tyrant might do, he became like one of us. He emptied himself and he dwelt among us. And in this, Jesus showed true humility in his love. But not only that, he showed a servant's heart. Throughout his ministry, he did not pursue wealth or fame, but freely gave of himself to others as a servant. This is clearly seen in the passage that begins this section of John that we're in today. All the way back in John 13, at the table of the Last Supper, as both a picture of how we're to live and a picture of what Jesus did in his incarnation, Jesus rises from the table of the Last Supper. He removes his outer garment and he lowers himself to wash the feet of his disciples, the lowest job of all. And then he rises, he puts his garment back on and returns to his place at the table, but he served others with the heart of a servant. Jesus' love gives from, in, from himself as a servant. And ultimately, Jesus gave from himself in love by dying the death we deserved on our behalf. Though he was perfect and without sin, he loved us to the end and died a sacrificial death for us because of our sins. And Jesus did this not for a people that could give him anything that he was lacking, but he did it ultimately for his enemies. Romans 5, 8 says, But God proves his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Philip Lloyd said, Love has sunk below its proper level if it begins to ask, Who is my friend and who is my enemy? Jesus died for his enemy. He offered himself out of his love and made his enemies his friends. And so we see this truth in this passage, the truth we can walk away, that Jesus has loved his disciples. It is an immense love, a love that we can never fully fathom, but a love we can experience in him. Which leads us to the call in this passage. And this is simply Jesus calls us to remain in his love. Jesus calls us to remain in his love. Because of the love of Christ and what God has poured out to us, we are called to remain in him. Now, the, the Greek word uh, in this passage is sometimes translated abide. We have remain. Sometimes it's even continue or endure. And the call that we see in Jesus' words to his disciples is that we are to abide in his, in his love. We're called to endure in the love of Christ. So to remain in the love of Christ, we, must, we, we both must believe and receive. Believing and receiving are integral to remaining in Christ's love. So first we must believe. Jesus is clear that if, if he is who he says he is, the Son of God who provides eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, we must believe. In fact, this is, this is a major theme of the book we're in today, in the book of John. And so here are just a few examples from this book. John three sixteen, a verse many of us know. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Later on, 20 verses later in John 3, 36, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. John 5, 24, truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment but has passed from death to life. John 6, 47, truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. John 6, 68 through 69, you got Simon Peter, Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. John 8, 24, therefore I told you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. 
It's the major theme of John, to believe in Christ. And, and that's not even halfway through John's gospel. That's just a few examples from there. Throughout his account of Jesus' life, we see a call to believe in Jesus Christ. And so if we are to abide in him and remain in him, we must believe who he says he is, that he is the son of God who humbled himself and lived among us, was tempted and was yet without sin, was crucified, dead, and buried, was raised from the dead, and has ascended into heaven, and will return to judge the living and the dead. If we're to remain in Christ's love, we must believe in him. This is a call to, to those who have not yet believed, to believe in Jesus and put our trust in him. But this is also a call to us who know Christ, to continue to remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel and who Christ is. But in addition to believing, if we're to remain and to abide and to continue and endure in the love of Christ, we also must receive from him. Understanding this aspect of what it means to abide and remain in the love of Christ day by day is somewhat difficult. If Jesus had told us to abide in a place or remain in a place, we got it. But he says that you must abide and remain in his love. Thankfully, Jesus has actually given us a great example of what it means to abide and remain in him. So if you look in John 15, go back to verse 4. Jesus says, Remain in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So first, we see that we must remain in Christ as a branch remains on a vine. A branch cannot survive or produce fruit if it's cut from the vine. If it's cut off and not properly cared for, it will die. In the same way, we must cling to Christ for our life. For when we do, we thrive and produce much fruit. We can do nothing of any worth apart from Christ. And so as we read, it's as if Jesus knew that we would be prone to forget this truth. It's as if he knew that we would be, as the song says, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Jesus gives us a call because he knew that we needed this reminder. And so in my own life, in my own experience, I see that we often wander away from the love of Christ. In the midst of trials and difficult circumstances, in the midst of seasons when I'm tired and I'm worn out, we often try to rely even on our own strength and our own abilities to overcome situations rather than the strength of God, rather than abiding in his love. When stress comes on, maybe a relationship with a spouse, we often think that if we just work hard enough, we say the right things and do the right things, we can find it within ourselves to make it work. And sometimes with friendships and working relationships, we often, often rely on ourselves to try to create peace. But in each of these situations, we often see that we are lacking in some way or another. These difficulties are external indications of an internal and eternal need for Jesus. Jesus is calling us to receive from him. We, we also often find ourselves attempting to receive from ourselves what we can only receive through Christ. To do the Christian life apart from Christ himself. 
Oftentimes when we're faced with temptation to sin, rather than going to the one who is tempted in every way as we are and yet was without sin, sometimes we adopt this kind of nose-to-the-grindstone mentality for dealing with our iniquity. Our mindset becomes one where we think, if I can just muster the strength to turn from this temptation, then I'll be fine. If I can just put these limits on myself and find these boundaries, then I'll take care, better care of my body. Uh, I won't look at these things on my screen. I'll, I'll treat people in, in, with true respect. And we often think, even if I set my alarm and wake up and force myself out of bed and, and go through my reading plan, then I'll find intimacy with God. And while personal health and setting limits and boundaries and treating others with kindness and daily devotional times are beneficial and necessary to our walk with Christ. In fact, Jesus has given these things so that we can pursue him. They in themselves out of our own power are not enough for true intimacy with Christ because we are trying to find something within ourselves what we can only find in Christ. Christ is calling us into a relationship with him where we receive good things from him directly. A relationship where in everything, in each situation, he invites us to cry out and say, I need you, Lord. I need you to go with me. I need you to go before me. I need you to strengthen me. Jesus invites us to be connected directly to the vine and to receive from the vine. Abiding in him doesn't say, I just need a new routine, new set of behaviors to cultivate. I need a, but it says, I need a savior who will be with me, one who can walk with me, one in whom I can remain, one who can renew my mind and will himself shape my life around him. We serve a God who doesn't say, do these things and then come to me, but serve a God who says, come to me, abide in me and remain in my love. A beautiful picture of what it means to abide and to remain in the love of Christ actually comes from a song that we've sang or we sung in recent months, a couple of weeks ago. And the song was written by Henry Francis Light in the latter part of his life, but it, it seems to capture the storms of life and the refuge of Christ's love. So here are the words from a few of these verses. Verse one, abide with me. Fast falls the eventide, the darkness deepens. Lord with me, abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. Verse three, I need thy presence every passing hour. What by thy grace can foil the tempter's power? Who like thyself can guide and strength can be thou cloud through cloud and sunshine, oh, abide with me. I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless. Ills have no weight and tears no bitterness. Where is death sting? Where grave thy victory? I triumph still if thou abide with me. Church, I hope that you see the blessing and the joy in the call to abide in the love of Christ. It's not a burden. It's not simply another assignment to complete. It's a call from a loving God to find true rest and one who has loved us deeply. So, so the truth for us today is that Jesus has loved his disciples. And his call for us today is to remain in his love. And finally, because of the truth and after the call, Jesus simply commands us to love as we have been loved. If it hasn't yet, this is really where the rubber meets the road, where our personal experience becomes an outward and public reality, right? where we live out what's be, what we've believed and what we've received. And so Jesus commands us to love as we have been loved. In verse 12, if you look, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. And remember, how has Christ loved us? Look back to verse 9. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Jesus is commanding us to love others, not with the love that we can create, 
that we can muster from ourselves, but with the love that the Father showed the Son and the Son has poured out to us. We are called to love others with the love of God. And so to see what this looks like in action, we look to Jesus. We look to Christ again and remember what we saw in him. First, we are to love with humility. As we saw earlier, we are commanded to love by humbling ourselves just as Christ humbled himself. Just as he did not lord his authority as a son of God over us as a worldly tyrant, so we humble ourselves toward others in love. We love in humility. We also love with a servant heart, adapting the same attitude of Christ Jesus. So as he washed the disciples' feet, when he stood up, he told them, I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. We are called to, by Jesus to love as a servant as he loved, laying aside our own desires for the good of our brothers and sisters to the glory of God. And finally, we see even in Christ's death, a model for the way that we are to love others by laying down our lives for others. Paul proclaims in Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so we come to Jesus, we, we die to ourselves for him, but also when we love others, there's a sense in which we lay down our life and we die to ourselves for the sake of others as Jesus died for us. John wrote in his epistle, this is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So just as Christ laid down his life for us, so we love others by laying down our lives. And this is our obedience to Christ, to love as he loved and to live as he lived. And he gives us this beautiful promise that we are his friends if we live in obedience to him. This is not the only example of friendship with God in the Bible. In the Old Testament, we see Abraham and Moses living this out. In Exodus 33, you see Moses as a leader of God's people in Egypt and in the wilderness that he would commune with God. And so the Bible says the Lord would speak with Moses face to face just as a man speaks with his friend. James 2.23 recalls the patriarch Abraham who believed God. It was credited, credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. These examples are called friends of God. God is the one extending love and friendship to these individuals. Abraham nothing, had nothing within himself. Moses had nothing within himself to offer God that appealed to him that God didn't already have. But God showed his love directly to them and called them friends. And it's important for us to know, even though it might sound like nitpicking, that the Bible says that they were friends of God. It doesn't call God the friend of Moses. It doesn't call God the friend of Abraham, but Moses was the friend of God. Abraham was the friend of God. And so this simple order of words just points to the nature of our friendship with our God. Coming to God doesn't mean that we, have, we approach him with an offer that maybe he'll accept if we have something good enough to give him. The Bible is clear we have nothing to offer God that he doesn't already have. And yet in his joy, uh, in his community, in his love, even within himself, he offers that to us. And he died for us as we were enemies to make us his friends. But the origin of God's friendship with us is not the only thing that differs between our friendships with, with others. In fact, the very nature of the friendship is, is completely different. Jesus tells his disciples in verse 15 that he, he no longer calls them servants, but calls them friends. Now, the relationship of a servant to a master is one of unquestioning obedience. The master commands and the servant obeys. The servant does not question the motives. He doesn't pry to see what all the factors were that were at play, but he hears the command and he obeys. 
And we see in scripture that God is immensely worthy of this kind of obedience. However, Jesus, in the goodness and his grace and his mercy, he calls us friends, not servants. Jesus, the one who had all authority, who was himself the divine son of God, looks upon the redeemed and calls them friends. It's, it's much like the example of a royal subject, right? If there's if you think of an old time king that had all authority over a land. He's probably got nobles around him, but he has what he needs. He has what he wants. He's not lacking. Now imagine that kind of king befriending a servant. The servant has nothing to offer the king. The servant doesn't have anything that the king doesn't. The king's got it all, but the king would decide to befriend the servant. And so the servant now gets to enjoy the benefits of that friendship. He gets to sit at the table with the king and enjoy the food. He gets to go play golf with the king, you know, all, that, all the fun stuff. But the servant had nothing to offer the king. But he would still obey. The king is still the king. And so even though the servant is in a new status as a friend, when the king commands, the servant still obeys. And it's similar for us. Rather than being a servant and master, we are now friends with the master. As Abraham and Moses communed with God as friends, began to know his heart, began, to, began to, to, to commune with him and understand who God was, Jesus says he has made known to his disciples all that he has heard from his father. He's still worthy of, of obedience, and his disciples are still marked and characterized by loving obedience to his commands. But we obey even as we know God personally. Even as we commune with the master, we are no longer servants, but obedient friends. And this is how we are called to live today. Jesus commands us to love one another as he has loved us. Jesus chose and decided to love those who were enemies against him. Jesus chose and decided to bring near those that were far from him. While he was on earth, Jesus loved those that were hated by the rest of the world. But he loved tax collectors, prostitutes, and the lame and the sick. He showed love to them. And he loved in humility with a servant's heart and with self-denial. He commands us to do the same. So church, I hope you see the joy in obedience to God. The peace that co comes with being an obedient friend of God. Oftentimes we hear obey and command as very negative words. And when we hear them, we probably think of a, a strong iron-fisted leader that demands compliance with his decrees. But in Christ, obedience does not make a disciple. We are made disciples from what God has done for us, but we are characterized by a loving obedience to God. And so Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So rather than seeing obedience to Christ as a burden to carry, we're able to see it with joy a joy that we get to experience. And it's not just the joy of a job well done, but it's the joy of knowing our God, knowing him personally. Because again, in our passage today, Jesus said that when we obey his commands, we will remain in his love. And as we remain, we even produce fruit, as we see in verse 16. When we remain in the love of Christ, we receive from him, we submit to him as obedient friends, we see that we produce fruit in him. Just as a branch remains in a vine and produces fruit consistent with the vine, as we remain in Christ, we will produce fruit consistent with Christ. And it's all seen in verse 16, where Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit, that your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask my Father in my name, he will give you. Now, this is not exactly how the world functions with Jesus choosing his disciples. 
When you think about going to college, where the student is the one that chooses. So look around at the different programs, look at where the professors are, look at which school is doing has the best work that they're putting out, all of that, and we submit an application and try to get in. But it's not so with being a disciple of Jesus. We don't research Jesus on the website and try to submit an application, see if we get into him. He chooses us. Again, Jesus knows our tendencies in life as he outlines the blessings of knowing him because he reminds us that we did not choose him, but he chose us. It's not of our own merit that we know God, or is it out of our own power that we produce fruit? A branch lying on the ground, not cared for, will not produce fruit. It must draw from the nutrients of the vine. So in the same way, the fruit we produce can only come when we remain and when we abide in the love of God. So what is this fruit? How do we know if we bear it? It's important to remember that this passage, Jesus is at the Last Supper with his disciples before he was arrested and crucified, and he told them that they were appointed to produce fruit, and the kind of fruit that would remain, the kind of fruit that would continue and endure. And so this kind of fruit, the fruit of loving others as we were loved, really in, in some ways comes in many forms. Loving others as we were loved means putting aside our own needs to meet the needs of others. And it's been my joy to step in as a missions minister and see that in action, even at FBNO. Members of this church don't really have to look far to see brothers and sisters bearing fruit as they go to the need. But as we dig in the scripture, we see that bearing fruit in the ultimate form in the greatest way is by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and making the good news of the gospel known where it is not. The kind of fruit that can continue and the kind of fruit that can endure is the kind of fruit that produces more fruit. Jesus' call to his disciples then and to us now is to produce fruit by sharing the good news of the gospel. And in so doing, we love others in the ultimate way. We love others in the way that Christ had loved us. Only through bold proclamation of the gospel do we truly and ultimately and supremely love one another. Because true love for a neighbor is sharing true love from God. True love for a neighbor is sharing true love from God. So when the church bears fruit, the gospel will be proclaimed. So church, I hope that you are encouraged today by the truth and the call and the command from John 15. Jesus has truly loved his disciples with an immense and an eternal kind of love. He loved us in humility and servanthood and by giving his life. His love is mighty and immense and eternal. And he calls us to remain in that, love, in that love, to abide in him, to continue in him, and to endure in him. And then he commands us to love as we have been loved. And so how are we to apply this in, in, in our lives? What does it look like to abide in the love of Christ? Love one another. Love one another by humbling ourselves, not putting ourselves on a pedestal before others, serving as Christ did, looking for the needs around us, Reclaiming the gospel of the sacrificial love of Jesus. And in addition to this, at the end of this passage in verse 16, Jesus adds, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Earlier in verse 7, he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. So as we remain by believing and receiving from Christ, as we're abiding in his love, Jesus says to go to God boldly knowing that the things we ask for in his name will be given to us. So, believer, do you go to God in prayer with boldness? Do you go to him diligently, asking him to remain in you that you might abide in his love? Is your relationship with Jesus characterized by a deep love rooted in your prayer life? 
Jesus is calling us to pray boldly and diligently. So do you ask God boldly that you might bear fruit? If your life seems to be minimally fruitful as a believer, consider this call from Jesus and commit yourself to diligent and bold prayer. And finally, as we have considered the love of God today, you may be wondering what the hype is all about. Some of you in this room might be wondering, like, what, why, why are we talking about love so much? And you may, be re- may, may realize that you've never experienced this kind of love yourself. As we look in the world, we look around us, we even look within us, we realize that we are in desperate need of the kind of love that we see in Jesus. Because as we look, and we look, as I was saying earlier, at our relationships, at our friendships, at our motives, in our own heart, we see that the world is broken. We see even, even ultimate forms of this in the world, in injustice and in racism, just torn homes. All these things we can look and see that the world is broken, but it's not just outside, external things. The Bible tells us that even from within our own hearts, there is evil, there is brokenness. And something within us realizes and knows that this is not part of God's design. God in his goodness and his grace created all things good. And he created us to know him and to love him. But because of sin in our lives, we saw the way that God had laid out. And we said, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go this way. And through sin, we became broken. But God in his love poured out his love on us in Christ. Because Christ loved us in humility, loved us as a servant did, and came to the earth, walked with us, walked as we are, and yet was without sin. And yet he died the death that we deserved. Even though he was perfect and sinless, he died on our behalf and he was buried for three days. And yet because he was God, he was raised on the third day. So he has forgiven us of our sins and offered us eternal life. And then he ascended to the right hand of the Father. All authority has been given to him and he gave us a promise that he would return one day to judge the living and the dead. And so God in his goodness gave us Jesus And the love that the Father has for the Son was poured out onto us in Christ. And so Jesus offers to us today to experience his love and to abide in his love. We would turn from our brokenness and follow Jesus. And in that, as we abide and as we remain in him, as we are connected to the true vine, we can grow back into God's design. So maybe you're wondering, what's the hype all about with Jesus's love? Maybe you've never experienced this for yourself. Today is the day to turn and to follow Jesus. He's inviting you to remain in him. And so as we continue to worship, and as we sing, there there are a few ways that you can respond to what God might be stirring within you. Maybe you need to make a decision to turn and to follow Jesus for the first time. I'll be up here. There'll be others as well. If you need to talk with someone to make that decision. But also, if, you, if you're a believer, there is a response that you need to make as well from the Word of God. There, there are times when we wander and we try to find within ourselves what we can only find in Christ. Maybe this is a time where you need to stay seated in prayer. Maybe even come to these steps to pray and to ask the Father to stir within you that you would remain in His love. And many of us as well need to respond during this time as we sing this song, just in worshiping God, thanking him for the great love that was poured out through Jesus on to us. And you just stand and sing and worship. So in whatever way you need to respond, I encourage you to do so as we sing.